0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Aaron Crane Show. Today is a super special day because let me take a step back. You know, on this podcast, I've spent a lot of time not talking about topical things or or issues in the news. But for the last month... It's been very difficult for a lot of people, especially if you're Jewish, to not think about or talk about the things that go on in the Middle East and Israel. And I know it's an incredibly divisive conversation, but my plan today was to sort of open up about Israel, what it means to me to be Jewish, what Zionism means, what the state of Israel means, and the whole mess of problems that's going on over there. And to help me bring some perspective on, on the situation maybe, I brought in a very special guest. This is Rick Krosnick. He is the chief development officer for the JNF. Rick, thanks for being on the show today. Pleasure to be here, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so Rick, the JNF stands for Jewish National, National Fund. Fund. We've been around since 1901. Okay.
1: Right. So, let's just create the foundation of Jewish National Fund in our existence. You heard of that guy Theodore Herzl, the
0: great state of... Yeah, sure. Remember the that guy with the
1: nice long beard. Sure, he was about your age, by the way, but he looked like he was seventy-two. You know,
0: let, let me tell you, the only one of the only reasons I know about Theodore Herzl is because from the movie The Big Lebowski, <laughs> right. right? You know they, they, he quotes the great Theodore right. Herzl. That's right. If you dream it, it is no. If you will it, it is it no is, dream. If you will it, is no
1: dream. And I'll say that Herzl was the original dude.
0: Right, Herzl was the original dude. See, we can talk about that movie now for for the whole podcast. There but, you go. But, um, I told you it's gonna be a four hour show. <laughs> yeah, and you know I sent you that one. You're like, this is gonna talk two hours. I'm like. We'll see. It'd be very, very fun. Anyway, so Theodore Herzl helped so establish this great state of Israel, or had the idea of. Created, Zionism.
1: created in the Fifth Zionist Cong- Congress in Basel, Switzerland, in 1901, a Jewish national fund, a national fund of the Jewish people, to raise money from global Jewry to repurchase our land, our land in the eretz Israel, mm-hmm. right and uh, and so JNF was created and we started purchasing land going back to 1902 was our was our first land purchase That's amazing.
0: And when, when they say purchasing land that means that there was a, s- a seller, right? Correct. And about who so who Correct. who owned that land? So back first, in the early 1900s. First of all,
1: understand there had always been a Jewish presence on that land going back 4,000 years, back sure. at the time of Abraham. Right, Lech Lecha, go to that land that I will show you. Right, Bereshiva. There had always mm-hmm. been a Jewish presence, and for for millennium, you know that land was fought over, right, by different groups in and out. You know, you know our presence and the Greeks and then the Romans destroyed right. the temple, but there had always been a presence, um, and um, and and the Ottomans who controlled. You know the land for over two thousand years, but yet there was a presence, right? Sure. And then the British Mandate, and on and on and on. But there was always Jewish presence, and only Jerusalem, capital for the Jews, for all of those years.
0: Right. So, just in historical context, because I think this is important, because when today in today's sort of world of social media and news, when they talk about the modern state of Israel, That's it right. seems to start 1947, 1948, with the UN yeah. partition plan. And they see, you did your homework. Well, come on. I've I, I've I've lived this and breathed this for you know a long time a period of my life. But what people I think forget is well what happened before that. That's right. right. That's right. right. The but Ottomans hey, and World War One. all that, right. that part of the story seems to be completely. Not by the way, not,
1: not just the land that was, you know, called Palestine, right? But don't forget after World War I, the French and the British carved up. You know, Palestine would be controlled by the Brits and, Trans-Jordan, and Lebanon and Trans Jordan and 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 installing their friends as leaders in these in these very places, right? But you said the right thing, the partition plan. Yeah. If you take a look at the actual map of Jewish National Fund land purchases, going mm-hmm. back to, as I said, 1902 was the first land purchase purchase and you overlay it over the partition plan map they match in other words the shoah the holocaust Mm -hmm. was the emotional appeal to the world right for the jews to finally have their homeland right that's that's the kind of the common narrative right right but the legal mechanism to make that happen were actually the land purchases made by Jewish National Fund. So the partition plan was land ownership by the Jews and land ownership by the, by the Arabs, right?
0: And listen, that's important because what you said there was important. You used the word Arab. The word Palestinian. Right. Didn't, they didn't even use that word in the partition plan because there was no such thing, for more or less. It was Correct. Just, it was just an area. Correct but they you call them arabs going back right. to
1: the time of the romans who named it after the philistines right and so that's that goes back for you know for for thousands of years but don't forget jews were palestinians sure right so people who lived on that land were palestinians both jews and arabs alike and if you look at the by the way the original palestinian flag yeah. was a jewish star in the middle of it
0: unbelievable cuz it's funny my my dad's mother my grandmother she, she you know she was born in chicago she was like a, a american you know but she would never. When I would speak to her, she would never refer to that Israel as Israel. She would call it Palestine, right? Because I think that's just what how she was raised. That's what that it was, was called. the name I mean, of the land pre 1948, right? I don't think she meant to call it to the Palestinian people that there was an there was an Israel Jewish state and a Correct. Palestinian state. That was just what she referred to that Correct. area. So I think that was interesting context for me to understand, like when people say the Palestinian, right? what, what that means, who they are, how they identify themselves, what their culture is. And what their history is, because I think it's very much whitewashed and sort of not paid attention to by today's I don't know um, the youth of today who, who are very vocal on social media, not not in a in a very positive and, and
1: way. And the hundreds of thousands of Jews who are uprooted from their homes in Arab countries right they, they had lived there for a thousand years jews in morocco and sure. iraq and the persian jews of iran and in yemen and on, and on and on in egypt and on and on there was a jewish presence throughout that entire region in that land and after the war world war Two, those jews were displaced from their homes and went back to israel mostly right yes so there's always population disbursement and shift during during periods of war um but you don't want to make this po- political and 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 I, right. by the way I don't think I don't think that is actually a political conversation I think that's a historical context, c- context.
0: right I think that's the point I just wanted to, to sort of establish JNF how it sort of established and and get a greater picture and understanding of the, the actual facts of, of the history of that of that region right so JNf was there from the very beginning to help develop the modern
1: state of Israel and as as landowners you have to be a developer right so so Jewish National fund the original communities the Moshevim the kibbutzim the small communities that was Jewish National fund those old black and white movie reels right with the
0: digging to trenches that's and, exactly what,
1: well you know the plow with one but, hand sure and a right. rifle over the shoulder or the tower stockade communities that's the story of Jewish National fund um, building infrastructure sure. so people can live and we still do that today Jewish national fund is rooted in the land of Israel we are still heavily involved in the development of the Land of Israel and if we put if we look at JNf in three different historical countries uh, uh, periods of time, Mm -hmm. right? There's the JNF of, let's say, 1901 up through the partition plan of 1947, right? Then there's the JNF of building out the infrastructure for this modern state and everything from agriculture to water, um, uh, roads, small small community development, all of those types of things. Then there's the JNF of today, the Jewish National Fund of today. And the way we look at it is we want to finish the job. About 75 percent of Israel's land mass lives on about 25 percent of the land, right? Most people go go to Israel, they see how congested it is between Haifa, Tel Aviv, and Jerusalem, that Mm -hmm. triangle, which is only about 25 percent of the land. Seventy-five percent of the population lives there. Increasingly expensive to live, very hard to make a living there, and have a good quality of life. Um, Tel Aviv is one of the most costly, cities on the planet, right? And cost of living in that area continues to grow. It's kind of crazy to think that today in in, in Tel Aviv, it's more expensive per square foot for housing in Tel Aviv than in Manhattan. Unbelievable. Right? So Jewish National Fund USA Today wants to help the population shift to the Negev and to the Galilee. We want to affect a half a million more Israelis living in the Negev and 300,000 more living in the north.
0: That, that's interesting because the, the geography of the area is important, you know, because you mentioned the control of water, because that's an important topic that that's become sort of a buzzword that people want to talk about today um, and electricity and, um, you know, so just shifting. We're going to fast forward a little bit to keep it relevant. You know, the events of October 7th, I assume were incredibly shocking to you. You know, when when this happened, has JNF like was prepared for something like this? The,
1: the the yes is that we have a ground game, right? Jewish National Fund USA has a has a big infrastructure presence in Israel. We have our own team in Israel. Okay, but let me set the scenario for you. Sure, um, I'm not a great sleeper to begin with. So 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm not either. Maybe that's a Jewish thing. You know, your mind sure. doesn't shut. You can't for shut
0: off your mind, right? For sure. Because <laughs> we,
1: do, we do worry, right? Jews do worry. like That's like you know, 4,000 years of our DNA. That's right. just who we are. It's our makeup. But so it's 4 a.m. Saturday morning the 7th, and I look over at the nightstand at my phone, and there must have been 32 messages on my phone. So as a Jew, what's the first thing like who died? Like literally that's where your mind goes, who dies,
0: right? Very sad. Who's trying to get a hold of right. me? What's the who, problem? What's wrong? Right. Who died? What? I should hear my mom's voice. Aaron, what's what's wrong? What's wrong? What's the matter with you? That's is right. everything okay, right?
1: That's our that's our thing, right? So I I grab my phone and I'm looking at my my phone in bed. My wife is sleeping. And I'm seeing all these messages that I can't make sense of. First of all, I'm bleary-eyed, right? The brain's a little mm-hmm. fuzzy and I'm looking now, our CEO, Russell Robinson, was on a flight. He took off Friday night to fly to Israel. He had a bunch of meetings throughout that week. Okay. And so he was flying overnight. And then there's messages from Russell. But he should be in the air. So nothing is making sense to me. And I'm piecing together that there's something happening. Something bad is happening. You know, so I immediately go to Times of Israel, right, and Jerusalem Post, and I start seeing what's going on there. hmm so here's what happens to JNF. Within two hours of Hamas breaching the first fence line, mm-hmm. our Israel operations team put together an operations center. We actually um, own a high school in Israel. It's, um, it's a, a study abroad program okay. called Alexander Musk High School in Israel. And a bunch of your listeners, kids have probably gone on the program. Mm-hmm. It's a study abroad for American high school kids. We've got our own campus. Um, in in the suburbs of Tel Aviv, a town called Jorah Sharon. So within two hours, we set up an operations center there. And Russell is communicating with our team from the air. Um, An hour later, I'm sitting, laying in there in bed and put together an emergency campaign. Wow. The first thing that our operations team did was starting to... um, uh, uh, um, find out available housing. We knew that there, was going to be a, there, there was going to have to be an evacuation of these communities, so we started looking to try to find lists of hotels available and and uh, in Moshevim, Kibbutzim, available housing there, okay. people had extra rooms. When
0: you say Moshevim, Because that's you know a word that not everybody might not not know. I know I didn't learn that until I sort of became more basically involved. Basically a small a Moshav, agric- yeah, it's
1: basically a small agricultural town is basically what it is. Okay. Small community, small village. Mm-hmm. Usually you know more no more less than a thousand people. Sure. Right. And it's typically around agric- agriculture, not necessarily. It's a term that would be used in Israel, um, but we knew there was going to have to be a major evacuation. So we're just we are trying to find available, then finding transportation companies, buses, vans to get people out. Nobody told us to do it. The one thing about a not-for-profit is often you can be much more nimble than the government can, right, with all of its bureaucracy. So we just leapt into action, started finding available um, housing, started getting families out that had not yet been impacted by Hamas, Um, started moving them. Um, and then that's, that's just the adrenaline takes over. Right. And then what do they need? How do we support them? A lot of them left with just the clothes on their backs. Right. <laughs> so getting them clothes and, 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 and personal care,
0: you know. So were these people, um, that were in like, you know, you talk about Kibbutz Berry or, yeah. or were, were those people in that area? Were they f- towards Gaza or were they further towards Tel Aviv?
1: So, so, all, so first of all, we're talking about what we term is Gaza envelope, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we're already shifting our language because it doesn't even feel good for that term to come out of the mouth now, or now it's talking about the Western Negev, yeah. right? But you're talking about communities that um, border the Gaza Strip, right? And um, by the way, your listeners should know, some of these communities were established pre-state Israel, some of these communities go back to the 1940s. They've been there for a long time mm-hmm. um, on land that no one has ever questioned is 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 is
0: is Israel. And it so, was land that right that I assume was probably not very useful to anybody else until the Moshav's and the Kibbutz were were established and, and created they, beautiful agriculture and created ag- agriculture and running water. and That's right, and et cetera, et cetera.
1: That's right. Yeah. So we so that was so that so bottom line is JNF was there on the ground from from the very moments that this started. Today, you know, including in the north, we forget what's happening in the north. 28 communities were evacuated in the north because of fire coming from Lebanon, from Hezbollah, Mm -hmm. right? So you're talking about 100,000 people, the population shift of 100,000 people. Let's put this in the context. The state of Israel is the size of New Jersey, right? The state of Israel is the size of New Jersey, and so you're talking about if like all of Newark, New Jersey, had to evacuate, right? What do you do with that? And the places where they're going. So, for example,
0: send them to Philly. I don't know. Do they, <laughs> do, do, they do they get along? Probably not. Probably not. But. <laughs> Nobody gets along. Nobody gets along, but uh, uh, making a joke of it. But, uh, um, making a joke. Where, where? Where do you send them? What the, how do you handle the logistics of that? What so, the heck do you do? So,
1: right, so, you, so the Israeli spirit, people just say, come. I've got an available room. You can stay in this one room, family of four, in somebody's apartment in one room. Or um, the central Arava, so the sliver of Negev Desert along the Jordanian border, right, further, mm-hmm. to, further to the east. Population of 4,000 people absorbed 2,000. Wow. from the from the uh, from the western negev from the gaza envelope 2000 they added 50% to their population they didn't have the infrastructure to do that but they just did jnf is providing support both in terms of housing and and food and supplies now what about education for the kids you know we're almost we're tomorrow 6 weeks on yeah 6 weeks those kids have to be educated. Where are the teachers coming from? Where are the school supplies coming from? Yeah,
0: and that's interesting because now you know I hadn't thought about that either. And I have a young a young daughter who's in who's in daycare, right? Mom and dad got to go back to work or whatever. Yeah. You know, what do you do? How do you establish that infrastructure? How do you get that help? That's inc- that's an incredible undertaking.
1: And if mom and dad could even work remotely, right? Because now they're living on the other side of the country right and even if they can work remotely their computer or laptop might be might have been back at home and destroyed Wow! so i have to get i mean we're talking about very basic stuff and the point of it is if you're nimble enough you just figure out what are the needs today what are the needs tomorrow right government doesn't work that way right you know maybe we can leverage government to get money right but to be on the ground actually on a daily basis kind of figure out then what then what then what what about kids with disabilities and the services that they need Something's very interesting. We started working on a a post-war contingency plan Mm -hmm. two weeks ago. We call it Livnot Biachad, Build Together. Now, we don't even know what that's going to look like, but we know we have to start generating ideas. And we don't know when the war is going to end. But we know there's going to come a day after. How do you help people go back home? What are those? How do you rebuild those towns? How do you repair repairing homes that are riddled with bullet holes? Repairing homes that have the stench of arson fire, the repairing communities have the stench of death. Truly, what does that look like? So we're gathering ideas. We're talking to hundreds of stakeholders, and something was very interesting that was brought to us by the regional council. It's kind of like a county here in the United States, okay. it's like a county in Israel. They have regional councils. Mm-hmm. So the mayors of regional councils are telling us, "Listen, it may be a year." before we're able to go back to our communities, Some of the most, you mentioned Barry, mm-hmm. right? Some of the most hardest hit communities. Well, what are we doing in the meantime? Because it's not sustainable for a family of four or a family of five to live in one room at somebody in somebody's home, right? In the goodness of their heart. It's not sustainable even if they've got,
0: you know, a small trailer they're living That's in. That's right. At some point you wear you're welcome. And you're just like, it's like enough already. You gotta, That's right. You gotta move on.
1: So we're talking to our partners now about building... You know, midterm housing, like using prefab construction to build nice houses, but it can be done very rapidly in communities where we've already done infrastructure. So communities, so families have, you know, a nice home with the space they need for the next year, eighteen months, two years.
0: And where, like, where physically would those would those properties go?
1: Well, I mean, if you you know, your listeners may not know the geography so well, but, you know, communities that are further to the east and a little south, uh, bigger towns like Arad or Yeracham, for your uh, uh, listeners that are more familiar with Israel, um, in regional areas like Ramat HaNegev, which, again, just a little bit further to the east of the Gaza envelope, but places where there's large landmass. Where we've already done ground infrastructure you can't build a house unless there's water sewer electrical but JNf actually does all that stuff
0: on the ground that's incredible incredible I mean you know and I I had a conception um, my idea of JNf when I thought about it was like well we used should give money to plant trees like yeah planting trees was a very important thing for JNf yeah. that we we're yeah. always giving money for that or planting a tree in Israel for you know for someone who died but but it's, it's bigger than that because I think the tree was just sort of the idea but it represents sort of the building infrastructure and running water and sewers and all those things you mentioned that are important that people I think take for granted when they think about, it, well, how the hell do you build a country out of the desert out of like nothing? So that's, that's um, something to think about and really wrap your head around that. You have to build roads and all the stuff that, that goes along with it. Okay. So you have this plan, right? And they called the after war plan. Yeah. You don't know how long it's going to go on for. And, and there's sort of, from my, from my perspective, as I say, you're not as a pessimist is so there's no end in sight, but even beyond that, the people who live there, they, they want to go back to those communities. Because at the end of the day, I mean, Gaza's still there. right? Who knows how many more Hamas terrorists have now been created out of this mess? You know, what, and listen, I don't expect you to understand and answer those questions, right? But from a JNF perspective, it's, its we're just here to support you and, and build infrastructure in Israel and keep the sort of the, the, the dream and the idea of the modern state of Israel alive, right?
1: Let me tell you the story of kibbutz
0: nachalos. And what's interesting, because kibbutz also is is a term that I don't think people quite understand. Right. right? And to me, and I'll tell you what it means to me. Right. Um, It's sort of like a socialist society where people are farmers. And it's a community that the modern state of Israel used to develop land in an area that was a desert that nobody wanted to even look at because it was nothing going on there. Right. So back in the day that would be a good description. It's changed a lot,
1: right? So you know, way back when a a typical kibbutz was a social collective, right? That everybody works on the kibbutz, everybody's paid the exact same wage, everything goes into the pot. You know, the kids are cared for by the collective community. That's kind of then. Yeah, it was like this hippie idea
0: and I thought about it in college. I would mean, yeah. go join a kibbutz and Very this, and and, um, and pick carrots for it's kind
1: of a cool a cool cool existence by the way.
0: Well as i sit sitting here now I sort of I'm, i regret not doing it because you, it, it can still a, happen. It'll uh, happen for you. Dream big. Dream big, and be like, Mom. Guess what? I'm gonna go milk cows and and be a social hippie on Israel. But I won't. It's scary now. I don't know if I would. But but
1: today, today, it's, today, it's not really that. And 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 there are very few traditional kibbutzim, which is the plural term for kibbutz. Very few remaining today. Think about just small town. Right. It's small town with a social ideal. Right. In other words, um, it's people who want to live. Together as neighbors, most people work outside of the kibbutz. You have entrepreneurs, business owners, high tech people. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's still agriculture and there's still farming and light industry on some kibbutzim. Most people are living outside, but what they want is the feeling of neighbors and this this idea of this beautiful collective social world that they can do only in a small town. Think about this. Um, you know, we live here in Chicago, right? I mean, you're in Highland Park. Mm-hmm. I, I live in the city now. Mm-hmm. But but the idea of, you know, pe- neighbors looking out for one another, it's not the same, right? I, I actually once saw the study about architecture yeah. and how architecture has changed because humans have become, in the United States, become more insular. Back in the day, you had a front stoop. Sure. The front porch, Right. Everything was designed in neighborhoods to be out in front. When I was a kid, go play, go play with your friends, go play, play in the ball on the, the street. Yeah, go go play in the street, whatever it was. But you know, but you had there were, there were hundreds of pairs of eyes looking out for every sure. kid, right? So you have to worry about it. just just yeah. come home for dinner, right? Come home when it's dark, and so we built so to be out front. Then architecture started changing. The front stoops started going away. Houses were moved forward to build what a bigger backyard in the back in your house right, with typically a fence Defense. around it, right? So, so the thought process of the collective, the community, people caring for one another, started changing. It was more insular. On a kibbutz, it's still really important to them, that the idea of, you know, this is a great place to raise a family, right, that we all look out for each other. So the social fabric is so critical to the concept of a kibbutz. So I was going to tell you the story about what's Nachalos, because it connects to where do we go from here and what does mm-hmm. the reconstruction look like. There's a roadmap. Nahalos is a community right along the Gaza border. I go there. I've been there many times. Here's the fence line to Gaza, and there you can see Gaza on the other side and villages in Gaza. In 2000, I think it was 17, was Operation Protective Edge. Sure. Right? So that operation lasted about... Um, just under two months, a little over 50 days. Okay, this is the operation where the terror tunnels became very uh, well known. Right, that became like
0: the buzzword was. That's so exactly talk about? right. The, the terror tunnel, Sure.
1: Because there was a there was a, um, a, a a fight with IDF fought with terrorists outside of the gates of Nahalos. Um, Hamas terrorists who came out of the tunnels popped up, and there was a firefight. Um, nobody penetrated into the community like this happened now. Mm -hmm. But the last casualty of the war was a 12-year-old boy who was killed killed from shrapnel from a Hamas rocket on the very last day of the war in Nahalos. Now, JNF has been working very closely with that community. We have a housing development fund that works with communities who want to expand and build new residential housing. Topic for another day. You're right, I
0: was gonna say that's it. But that's, early, you that word, settlement. early like, in that the very... spring
1: of 2017, we were working with them on expansion plans. They were at full capacity and they wanted to build new housing to bring in new members. The war happens, protective edge, those plans get stalled. A number of families move back right away. There are about 20 families who decided not to move back at all, right? Time goes by, we start building out the new neighborhood Mm -hmm. And the new neighborhood was completely filled within two years. There were like 30, I can't remember, exactly 30 new homes. And where were those people coming from? Young couples from Tel Aviv. Now think about that. Yeah. Moving from Tel Aviv to a community along the Gaza border called Nahalos, and why? Because if you talk to them, first of all, Tel Aviv is so expensive. Right. More for the money. I can have a beautiful house in Nahalo's and I'm buying I, I'm living in a in a crappy small a shoebox, apartment indeed. shoebox in Tel Aviv, right? Mm-hmm. But the other thing you heard from them is in a place like Nahalo's, there's a sense of community. People look out for one another, right? In Tel Aviv, like any urban city, who's looking out for your kids? And you're worried. And when the kid goes to school, and are they coming home? And how are they getting to school and getting back? Sure. It's it's a big it's, it's a inner big concern. city problems, right? Inner city problems. And Tel Aviv has got big city problems yeah. like any big city. Mm-hmm. But in Nahaloz, they used to say, they used to say, it'll be interesting to see how they characterize things six months from now and a year from now. They used to say in Nahaloz, you know, it's ninety five percent heaven and five percent hell. That's interesting. Ninety-five percent heaven, but they would take the ninety-five percent heaven. The five percent hell then was, you know, every month or two, a few rockets being launched by Hamas. That's hell. Now that they, they they've moved the bar, wow. Hamas has moved the bar in what hell means, yeah. right? Because yeah. then it was a few rockets. Okay, you go into your safe room, you go into the bomb shelter, and then you get the all clear and you go out and get on with your day. So the 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 the. the 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 mark of what hell is has changed, but we saw we have a road map of that experience. Mm-hmm. It will take time, and there are going to be families who who idealistically say they're not going they're not going to beat us. We're moving back the minute we have an opportunity. There are people who will be more cautious. There are people who have very deep deep psychological issues, and some may never choose to come back. But Janice is going to be there.
0: Yeah, we'll, we're we're there for the long haul. And it's interesting because I think. Part of the Jewish spirit is that you know we'll we'll show you you know we'll we'll be back, um, and to your credit, I mean that that's to have the support of JNF to rebuild those communities is 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 incredible. So um, that's very interesting. You know, I mean, and I've never thought you know thought about it. Well, what happens next? Yeah, I think about me personally because th- here's here's what I what I think about what happened on, on October seventh. You know, I'm a younger guy. I like music for the most part. I've gone to my fair share of concerts. I think to myself, geez, would I have been there? At that at that Nova Music Festival down there, probably I don't know, maybe it's a chance. And I relate it to well, you know, I never thought it'd be in a mass shooting, mm-hmm. and then you are, you know, I was at the Highland right. Park shooting, yeah. So the idea of violence of of being prepared for it um, is something I've I've thought about, but then when it happens, you know, all those ideas of being prepared sort of like go out the window, and you just and you just you just react. But I think Israelis are different because they all there's conscription. They'll they'll serve. They're all tough for the most part. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, you know, I try to internalize it and personalize. You know, would I want to go back and live near Gaza or in that area? I don't know. But also, what I think about the context and the history of of the of the conflict. You know, when I was younger in the, in the '90s, there were bombs going off in Israel all the time.
1: Yeah, Sparrow Pizza, sure. I was there, by the way. Really? I was in Jerusalem with a number of people from Chicago. We, it was actually our graduation day from the Wexner Heritage Program. And there were, I, I don't remember exactly, I think there were about 40 of us
0: that were in Jerusalem at the day that uh, Sparrow was bombed. And that that was like, that has an impact on you when you're young and you, and you see the buses were all blown up. But for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, maybe even longer, that hasn't happened. Right? I remember there was like, uh, they were like ramming their cars through the you know, crowds of people, or they, there would mm-hmm. be a stabbing here and there. But there was never the the size of explosions in Israel. And I, and, and this is just from my perspective. I, you know, I can't tell you if is true or not, but the generation below me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a Gen Xer, at mm-hmm. the end of tail in Gen X, yeah. millennials and, and after, they weren't alive or they don't remember right. that violence going on in Israel all the time right. or being scared of it. right? And maybe, you know, and I, again, I don't know if this is, True or not that you know you become sort of complacent and like life is life is good, and you forget about it, and then I think I look at the younger generation how they're reacting to this mess, and geez, I don't I don't where did we go wrong how did they not see it.
1: Like, Don't we, you often feel that you're in a soundproof booth screaming and nobody can hear you? And how can they see the world so much differently y- than you? Yeah, the hypocrisy of it all is, is, is mind-boggling. You're, so you go back to the time of the Intifadas, right? You were, so you were saying, you remember the yeah. times that blo- buses were being blown up, right? Constantly. People just going to school, going grocery shopping, being blown up on a bus. But how, how messed up is it, right? So Israel, in a response to terrorists coming from the West Bank, blowing them up, hundreds at a time, right? You know, Mike's Mike's Cafe, the dolphinarium right? All You can remember the, the big sure. ones, right? Um, the, the, the people that were killed during a Seder. I mean, it's crazy. Israel builds a security, you know, fence and security walls to stop people from killing them, right? And then Israel's maligned for having... You know, security walls because they were coming to kill us. Now all of a sudden, israel's an apartheid state, which is a whole nother farce. But that we yeah, get into another sure. time. Sure. But so you keep bombing me, killing me, coming in and 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 dis- and, and butchering bir- our people on buses going to work. We build a wall to stop that. And by the way, therefore violence is is lessened on both sides. But we're much maligned, right? October 7th happens, and the, the worst depravity, the worst depravity, the butchering, which with pride, they're using GoPros to film it because they're so proud of butchering babies and women and raping, and they're putting this out on social media because they're so proud of it, and there are people who can't even condemn that action, right? And then Israel's supposed to appease the very people who are butchering and murdering them. And I don't. So I too often feel like I'm in a soundproof booth screaming, and nobody can hear me. And don't understand the narrative that that the victim has caused has caused their own victimization.
0: Sure. How messed up is, is that? It is messed up. And I think about well, then why does that happen? Like, does does Israel have a PR problem? It's like why why can't they seem to get it right? The story. And maybe they do, but maybe it gets buried under all the bad stuff. But it, it's. Or maybe just people are inherently anti-Semitic. Like, that's just that's just part of our existence of living on this earth is there are people out there who hate us, who yeah. hate Israel. Regardless of whether you disagree with the, the government of Israel, at the end of the day, it comes down to they hate us. But there are also—when we say the, the, the they— the, the, All right. Or
1: no, no, no. But listen, it's important because the good news is there's a lot of they who have risen up to support and the allies. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. October 7th is horrific, and there have been other periods in our history, horrific. But, you know, when periods like that happen, the good news is they come out from under the surface. At least you can name them and you can identify them. That's and, you know, that anti-Semite who is below the surface, who might have been your neighbor or in the person in your office in the cubicle next door, now they feel emboldened to be able to speak out, right? They feel that they are in good company, that they can— they can, they can put their anti-Semitism right. with pride <clears throat> out on the table. You know what i say?
0: Good. We know that who good. you are. But, but it's also interesting because, and I don't know if you've experienced this with people who, who, who make an, a comment sort of like, um, you know, I live in Highland Park, and I've had this happen a few times So people. Oh, he must be a rich Jew. And they don't mean it negatively, right? That's just. It rolls off the tongue now, though, it doesn't it? It just rolls it? off the tongue, though. But the deeper meaning of that, where does that come from? Well, why do you say that? And that's all rooted in this horrible PR problem that maybe Jews in Israel have of you know, that the, were you know, successful or Israel whatever it gets is. A,
1: Israel gets a bad rap about PR. The fact of the matter, it's baked in. It's 4,000 years of being baked in as the Jewish people were always created. They were the other the other and Jews, as the other was just deep into the psychosis, and over time, you know, different phrases. You said, you know, you know. Remember the old term "Jew down," right? Yeah. All these these narratives about these classic tropes about Jews. This is stuff that people have just picked up. They don't even know the genesis of it. It goes back thousands of years, hundreds of years in some cases. Right.
0: That's the thing that the people say those things. I don't think they under, even understand that they realize that it is offensive. That's right. And it sh- and, but the problem is also Jews don't necessarily take it offensively for the most part. They, you know, it's you know, they let it go. But I think after October 7th, I think everything's changed. I know for me personally, if someone's going to say that to me, I'm not going to I'm not going to stand for it anymore. Right. I'm going to be like, "Uh-uh, can't speak like that to me."
1: There so, are a lot of kids on our college campuses right now who are starting to feel very Jewish.
0: Right. And it's funny because I was before you came in here I was scrolling through social media, which is never a good idea, but Matiz Yahoo, mm-hmm. who um, you know, very famous Rock star, reggae rock star, you know he he started his career. He was he was very Chabad, and he had the payas and the hat and the whole thing. He became less so, but I think he said after October seventh, he's he's returning to his roots of becoming more more Jewish. And, and the thing is, when horrible things happen like this, they do end up uniting a people, the Jews. People return to to, to shul and prayer and all that stuff. So,
1: but I think that would happen. I'm making is- a joke. I, you know, but. No, of course, but people do want to come together, right? And people want to be together. They want to be connect with their allies. They want to, they want to hug their family, and they want to they want to know who stands with them. People want to be with people who have similar values. Sure, right? And so, you know what? Good. I know what I know what your face looks like, and I know what your name is, and I know who you are and what you represent, and. Um, and uh, you are you are not part of my family. Yeah. You are not in
0: our tribe. That's true. And listen, social media has been, I think, a terrible thing in terms of a, a advancing a narrative of violence and, and really, really bad stuff. Because, I mean, I know on my social media, I see a lot of... A lot of really frightening things out there, um, especially the stuff that happened um, on October 7th. But we don't have to go, though. let's try to keep it a little more positive, right? Hey, you're going dark. You went really dark Well, listen, I, mean. I, you know, I tend to go dark because, and <laughs> I think about this, because I think about the history of, of me, right, and how I relate to being Jewish and the stories I've been told and actually other people who are my age have been told. You know, when I was a kid in the, in the 80s, the Holocaust wasn't that far removed. I mean, it was 40 years ago mm-hmm. from then. And now here we are, you know, some years from then. So, as a kid, and you hear those stories, you think, geez, that was only 40 years ago? That can never happen again. Nothing like that will ever happen again. That seems impossible. Mine, you know, there's just no way you can wrap your head around it. But the story of of, of, of Jews it always seemed to me in the background Holocaust, violence, terrible things, buses being blown up in Israel, um, you know, and then things happening here, 9 11. It was always. And then there's always a Jewish narrative to 9-11, too, that Jews were involved in that, or it had, you know, it was because they hated Israel, and, and it, it, America's a good ally of Israel. So from my perspective, the story of, of Jews always inv- involved these terrible things happening. So for me, when this happened on October 7th, I was like, you know, I should have saw it coming, I want nothing to do with it. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with it. I can't handle this. How can anyone wrap their head around the atrocities that people commit to each other yeah. in the name of a... a pinprick of land in the desert yeah that you know t- people didn't pay attention to but every so often things flare up and becomes the most important issue face- facing right. humans and you'd think that in uh the year
1: 2023 we'd be such enlightened people
0: yeah, right the world be so enlightened and it's funny because i i did make a rant on i didn't post it but i said how we've, we've we've made no progress as a human as humanity mm-hmm. we've gone nowhere we're, we're still in the era of the Holocaust. I mean, look at what happened. What the hell happened to right. people that they become that deranged or obsessed with Jews and murder? And and I also remember then as a kid. You know, you'd watch those videos of the little kids being taught at the Hamas schools, or the Palestinian schools, how to kill Jews. And I know at, we used to say, this is crazy. How come the rest of the world doesn't seem to have a problem with this? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, that was 20 years ago. Those people are now, you know, older, young men. I'm sure one of those people who busted that fence and did some horrible thing probably went to one of those schools and was indoctrinated with that shit that nobody seemed yeah. to care about at the time. Yeah. And no one got angry about it. Yeah. And it was just, you know, it's Jew hatred. That's just how it goes. But it's part of your story.
1: It is. It's, you know, it's part of our story. But I got to tell you something. I am an eternal optimist. I am. I mean, it may not sound like that to your listeners. I mean, because again, we went pretty dark here, but we're talking about a very dark, you know, very dark period in our history. The now. Now is a very dark period in our history, but I'm an eternal optimist and I refuse to give that up. And I do think that that that's also part of our DNA, right? Part of our DNA is that we always look to a better day, right? There
0: is a better yeah, day. I mean, hope is an important part of We have a state to... of
1: Israel. I mean, let's put things in context, okay? Sure. Um, pre-1948, there was no state of Israel. That's right. right. So pre-1948, where would Jews go who are feeling these kinds of threats globally? It's funny because you say that. I make a joke that they go to New York. Right. Just go to New York. How safe are they feeling in New York right now? Uh, exactly. That's no, the joke. Right. It, or in the streets of Chicago. How our safe college are college
0: campuses. It's crazy.
1: How, how safe are they in the United States? We always say, OK, well, I don't live in France because five years ago, what was happening in France oh, or what's happening in England? Right. In Europe, where you have you have uh, 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 soldiers and police with machine guns protecting Jews just to go to shul. Right. In Europe today. Right. And again, this is this is 2023. This is not 1943. Right. But the difference is that Israel does exist. Israel exists. We have a place to go wherever it gets bad. And there will be a state of Israel. There will be. And Israel's not going anywhere. Israel is a strong country and it's got a strong army. It's got a relatively strong economy. Um, And there are organizations like Jewish National Fund who are there, who've got their back, and and millions of supporters. Israel's not going anywhere. And that's why this um, war right now is so important in the history of the state of Israel, because it's not sustainable. The world got comfortable yeah. With a little Hamas rocket fire. Yeah, it's no you big know, deal. Uh, the, you know, this a really couple deal. of rockets every few months. Yeah, listen
0: to how we're saying that, though. <laughs> Even how that context of, ah, you know, it's
1: no big deal. But if that
0: happened here... I mean, it would have it 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 been
1: war. Okay, I'm originally from Detroit. Okay, <laughs> there here's, you go. Here's the deal: Windsor, Canada, every couple of months is lobbing some missiles into Detroit. Tijuana Those pesky Canadians. Exactly. Right? Tijuana, Canada, every every couple of months is lobbing some some uh, Tijuana, Mexico is lobbing some missiles into San Diego every couple of months. Could you imagine what our response would be as a country? I know. It's, and that's where
0: you go crazy. You
1: would put your hair out. But nobody's listening you're to you. You were talking about a double standard earlier. Yeah. So what country should be able, should have to deal with that? Oh, by the way, also in Hezbollah on the northern border. That's right. And so the world is, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's a few missiles. It's a few missiles.
0: Yeah, they got Iron Dome. It's just a, it's, just no. live that
1: way. So your kids have to go into a shelter, you know, for a little while. <laughs> so your kids can't sleep well at night because they don't know when the alarm is going to go off. So what? So what? But Israel gets it. This is not sustainable anymore. And it's finally enough. And that massacre that occurred on October 7th, that massacre, it's it's enough is enough. And Israel has a right to defend itself. That's right. And it has a right not to live with a terrorist
0: organization on its border. So then, you know... from your perspective, as you sit here, what do you think it looks like then a year from now or two years or 10 years from now when when the dust has settled and, and the news cycle goes back to, you know, what's happening, you know, locally and, and the world is not focused on, on us, I guess, so to speak? What does it look like?
1: Well, there are a lot of answers to that question that I just don't have. I mean, you know, what does the security situation in Gaza itself look like? Who's taking control of the security situation in Gaza? You know, there's been a lot of talk in the papers and proposals that somehow, you know, there's a, um, you know, a a coalition of the Egyptians and the Saudis and the Qataris with working with the UN somehow doing, I, I don't know. I don't know what the security situation is going to look like. I do know a year from now, it's going to be quieter. It's going to be much quieter along the Gaza Strip in the Gaza, in the Gaza envelope. It'll be much quieter. I do know that a year from now, there's going to be heavy construction happening, and I think there's going to be a response from Israel to build up even stronger the Gaza envelope, and that's typically the Israeli you know, ethos, right? right. When we get slapped, we slap harder, and part of that is also economic. I think that there is going to be a flurry of economic development in the Gaza envelope, um, and I think that a year from now, there's going to be even deeper engagement by the american jewish public in israel i think we're seeing it right now we have volunteer missions Mm -hmm. that are starting i think the first one is going on december 10th right four-day missions go and work and work in the fields you know, people aren't thinking These are about J- this.
0: JNF sponsored yeah, missions.
1: Yeah, JNF sponsored missions, and we've—they're selling out. They're already selling out. People who just want to go and do something. Right. I mean, think about the farming communities. These are a lot of farming communities. There's nobody picking the crops. So, number one, there's an economic issue for the farmers, right? If the if their if their crops go bad, but there's also a food security issue for Israel if the crops go bad. Right? So, but they're selling out. I would imagine that we're going to see a flurry of activity of people swarming to Israel, coming on missions and going and being there. Um, I think at the end of the day, and that's why I'm telling you, I'm an eternal optimist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the ricochet effect, and you know, we beat Hitler, we beat Hitler, and we're going to beat Hamas. There you go.
0: You yeah. know?
1: You know one you know you know the old joke over you know they they every jewish holiday they tried to kill us we won let's eat <laughs> That's but right. it's the unity it's ultimately the unity of our people right of who we are and our identity that we do survive because we're stronger than hate we are the light right and time and time again the greeks the romans I mean, going back even to the the Egyptians. Go back even sure. the Egyptians. Let's go back further. All those great civilizations at that time, where are they now? Dust in the wind. I mean, those civilizations, as they existed, right, right, are dust in the wind. But the Jewish people survived, right? We survived because we 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 take these ideals very seriously about human dignity, and that's that is a credo. That will sustain us for another
0: thousand years. Amazing. Yeah, that's right. I got, you know, thank you for saying that because I, sometimes I need to hear that. You that know, was a pretty good riff. That was good. That, that, we're going to put that on social uh, media. I kind of like that one. You know, yeah, listen, it was I – I, oh, you know what? I wasn't recording. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then I come on. Yeah, there you go. You see the stop button. Yeah. No, uh, the microphone was on. No, that was great. Very impassioned speech. You ever thought about running for um, – for a public public position, that'll never happen. Never happen. That'll never happen. Do it in, in the non-profit. That'll, you know.
1: that'll never. You know, there, there's just too much out there on me.
0: <laughs> oh, oh well, let's let's we talk about that then. Yeah, that's another one.
1: That's, yeah. Yeah, you grew up in Detroit,
0: so are, you know, we, um, what part of Detroit? I
1: grew up in uh, in Oak Park, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. It's a, for your Chicago listeners, Oak Park, Michigan, is kind of like Skokie. Okay, it's the same.
0: I, yeah. Okay. So, were you, were you religious as a as a young boy? Go to a, go to to uh to was, religious school or a uh, Jewish day school or anything like that
1: nope um I grew up in you know that the fact that I'm sitting here today mm-hmm. right No, truly the fact that I'm sitting here today um you know it, it causes me to often say that there were there was a hand that guided me because I grew up in a very assimilated home very uh, you know almost a typical Jewish experience for the typical yeah. you know secular Jew in you just America wanted to fit in yeah. Um, you know, I grew I I I my parents left our temple or went to a reformed synagogue, left the temple after my bar mitzvah. My older brother had already been bar mitzvah, so why belong to a temple anymore, mm-hmm. right? So they left the temple. Um, you know, and for us the Jewish holidays was time to get together for dinner, family dinner. We always got together for the holidays, but it was typically just family dinner. Right. Right. Um my Jewish experience was rooted socially, you know. Oak Park, Michigan, like Skokie, a lot of Jewish families, so many Jewish friends, right? So I went to the Jewish Community Center because that's where my friends went. I wanted to play basketball, mm-hmm. right? I went to Jewish summer camp, a shout out to Camp Tamarack. Where um, is that? Camp Tamarack is like the the Detroit version of Camp Shy,
0: Okay. Right. Yeah.
1: So, um, but I went to Camp Tamarack because that's where my friends went. Right. Right? That was those were my those were my Jewish connections. I went to uh, a college, Central Michigan University, mm-hmm. fire up chips. Um, very few Jews at the time on that college campus. And then I dropped out of school and went into the Navy.
0: There you go. Well, this was in, I don't want to give away your age, but. Uh,
1: mid-80s. Okay, all right. Mid-80s. Oh, you, you want to go there. So I, I I, went into the Navy in 1985. So do you remember what happened in
0: 1983 in Lebanon? Um. I'll oh, turn up the microphone, and I'll say it. And then I'll give me the answer, then I'll say it. No, I, no, remind me.
1: 1983, Hezbollah bombed the U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut. Right? Hezbollah was all about America, the Great Satan, yeah. the West. Do you remember that language? Mm-hmm. Sure. Israel was Israel was not on the radar screen as much. It was
0: about the United States, and they bombed uh, the Marine barracks. So, is that what your motivation was then to say, <laughs> "I'm going to go"? fight for America or not or? so
1: much it was more about my personal discovery and trying to figure out who I was because I really felt back then I was a sophomore in college and I didn't know who I wanted to be like a lot of people mm-hmm. I didn't I know I didn't have a plan a lot of my friends had plans I didn't know what my plan was and I made ultimately the best decision of my life to drop out of school I went into the Navy spent four years on active duty um, aircraft carriers in the eastern Mediterranean that,
0: to me that's forget you know I was the Top Gun generation. So the yeah. idea of, of that was the of Top uh, Gun F-14s. Forget it. That's I would l- love to spend a night yeah. or two on on, a, on the deck of a yeah. Of an aircraft I was on carrier.
1: the USS Nimitz, then the USS Theodore Roosevelt. Wow. That was an A-6 intr- A-6 Intruder squadron. We were making circles off the coast of Lebanon. That's what we were doing back in the day.
0: What um what was your your job
1: on on one of those ships? Don't make a joke, but I was I was an intelligence analyst. So there's usually a joke, you know,
0: about naval intelligence. But it's lost on me but I was got to there. make a jew joke of course he didn't tell you any Jewish oh, yeah, of course um, All right so on, how long were your tours beyond on, on that ship? I, it was, I assume it was an aircraft carrier so it was thousands of people right? yeah
1: thousands of people so it varied but um, I could tell you this and in, um, in 1987 I was at sea nine months out of 12
0: It was a, it was a, that was a long long tour <laughs> and did you get to see any any daylight or did they keep you sort of like below deck uh, okay. in, Okay. Every so often, <laughs> every every
1: it was long days. It was twelve hours on, twelve hours off, unless we had a port call. Um, long, long days. But that is what actually started my connection to Israel.
0: And working on those ships, because and I'll make another Jew joke. I would assume there weren't a lot of Jews in the, but maybe I was wrong. This is just my again my preconceptions of Jews and who we are and where we where we do the, where we flourish. And I would think that maybe na- Navy um, battles or on ships probably isn't where. You'd find a lot of Yiddishkeit.
1: I would tell you that the U.S. military mirrors, you know, uh, demographics in the United States. If we are just under three percent of uh, of, Amer- of American of, of the American population, U.S. population, um, we're probably about five percent of of military okay. um, service. I can tell you, like, you know, I, I knew a number of Jews who were in my squadron. Um, our, in, our intelligence department was a department of four people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I first came in, in 85, two of us were Jews. Wow. Um, there were a couple of Jewish pilots, okay. um, that I got to be familiar with. So, you know, our presence is, is it mirrors
0: American society. And so in the eighties then, you know, there, there wasn't, besides that bombing, there wasn't any major conflict, but at the end of the eighties, right? Nine, I think the Gulf, first Gulf War was 90 or '91. 90, 91. 91, the Saddam Hussein project. Yeah. Uh, George Bush the first yeah did you were you um stationed on the boat during during so I was in the
1: reserves at that time and actually I was back in college when I finished my active duty I went back to school to finish my degree so I was and I was in the reserve duty you know once a month Mm -hmm. I would have to report for duty two weeks in the summer so it's kind of interesting um my reserve duty in the summer's book ended desert storm Uh. and so um before the U.S. The U.S. came in to, uh, to help uh, uh, um, eradicate the Iraqis from Kuwait after their invasion. I was actually on the East Coast in Norfolk, Virginia, doing pre-prep planning for the U.S. response. Wow. It was a nice, tidy little war, right? And then when the war ends, that— the next summer, when I went back, I was doing bomb damage assessment and doing, you know, follow up plan, uh, um, you know, uh, analysis from mm-hmm. the war. So it was kind of bookended. So I never, I never had to go over there. I was never, I was, I did my part, but I did it from the safety of a two week assignment you in Norfolk, Virginia. You know,
0: and I remember as a kid watching. That was really the first time that um, war was sort of was broadcast. In that Because I remember, they, you know, they, they those, those images of of the missiles going up from, yeah. from back, I don't know if it's or there. It you could
1: actually watch the missiles going into the building. Right, and yeah. that
0: was, you know, and that was sort of the beginning, I think, of the end of, like, oh, gosh, then I think we're a little too much involved. Because that war, you didn't really see any, I assume there were horrible things that went on. But as Americans, we you know, we didn't see that. It was, like, way over there, and we didn't have, we didn't have phones. Or it was on media. TV, but it wasn't on social media 24 hours a right? day. I remember there was, like, there was a... Um, there's, Saddam had like killed a whole bunch of people that were on a road somewhere. And they, I remember seeing images of that, but again, it was like on a crappy TV with very low, low definition. So like things have completely changed. And I think from that perspective for the worst, but so I think social media is a good thing. We could talk about that too, but that's amazing. Your story is, that's incredible that you, that you were involved. That, just, so that, was, that, that, that. was my
1: connection. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, when I got out of the, when I finished school, um, I was looking for a job. I was just looking for a job and, um, by the way, my, my 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 plan was to go into professional sports marketing. There you go. That's what I want to do. So I found out that like there's two people like at every team that has that job, and like everybody wants yeah, it. Everybody wants that job. So when you graduate, they're happy to give you an unpaid internship, and like I needed to like pay rent and like you know buy food. Yeah. And these and things my, bills. Yeah, and life. I wasn't a young kid. I had come out of the navy, so I was a little bit older when I graduated. Okay. And so I had to redirect, and just my mother had heard about. Uh, um, the Jewish vocational service in Detroit. I went there, and I had a meeting there and uh, with a career counselor, and she said, hey, I saw that the Jewish Federation of Detroit was looking for a campaign executive. You know, do you want to play? I said, great, two questions. What is the Federation, and what does a campaign executive do? I mean, I wasn't— <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> I wasn't connected at all. Yeah. And um, anyways, she forwarded my resume. They brought me in for a bunch of interviews, and it's really kind of crazy that they decided to hire me. But this is a true story. Uh, a number of years later, one of the people that was on the young leadership board okay. that did the final interview, mm-hmm. who I had become very good friends with, who had gotten involved and then became involved with JNF when I was involved, you know, years later when I was at JNF. So I, we were out we were out having a drink, and I said, "Question for you: Why did you hire me?" This is back in 1991. Why did you guys decide to hire me in 91? Mm-hmm. This is probably five or six years later. He goes, you want to know the truth? Yeah, truth. He said, we thought you'd last six
0: months, but you'd be a great guy to have a beer with. There you go. And the rest is history. And now, now, as you know, you are the got a big job over there at JNF. Big job. That's exciting. Um, and, and this is important, because I was sort of wrapping up. We've been talking now for just about an hour. So, And we could keep going. Time flies. Time flies when you're having fun. So I hope you enjoyed it. But if anybody wants to get involved, yep. because... Everyone, when we were called to action, suddenly say, well, how, how could I help um, Israel and, um, and get involved and not have to fly over there and, yeah. and, and work on a, a kibbutz? Because, you know, I'm, honestly, I'm not going to do that. But what I would do is, you know, write a check or, or maybe yeah. that's the answer. So if you can maybe give us some information about how we can participate and help out? Yeah, so we've got a
1: robust website, jnf.org, right? Go to jnf.org, and there you're going to see right on the landing page different opportunities to participate. Obviously, the needs are great, and if people want to write a check, there's a a donate button. Please do help us, and you can see what we are supporting in Israel. If you want to come with us to Israel, you'll see right on the landing page opportunities to travel to Israel, both for the Uh, the volunteer missions that we're doing Mm -hmm. starting on December 10th as well as other missions that are being planned throughout the year. We bring thousands of people to Israel every year. It's a great way to see Israel in a different way. We bring people very close to Israel. We're about meeting the people, not just seeing Israel as a tourist from the bus, but to be in Israel, to connect with Israel. So make a gift, join us, and uh, we'd love to have more support.
0: That's great. And if you're if you're a young person, you know, is, is birthright? That's not JNF, is it? No, we support
1: birthright. So so JNF is very active in bringing groups through birthright as well. So i was saying, if you're a young
0: person, you're and you're single, and you're a single guy. Yeah. I always they go to birthright. You meet a nice Jewish girl. And Birthright's a great place. Great place. Um, well, that's fantastic. I, I appreciate you you know sitting down with me. Um, you know, I don't know what we accomplished or what we did, but I think we said it all. Probably said enough. I think this was a great opportunity, and got to know a nice a, a new friend. There here, you go. Oh, thank you for that because I appreciate that. I don't have a lot of friends these days, but <laughs> that's okay, okay. because
1: you're living in the studio. I know
0: everything is. I just have to stick it up on the on the microphone. But um, you know, when I when I wrap up the show, I brought my daughter in here. I have an older daughter, and she goes, "Dad, <clears throat> when you end the show, you have to say these words. So you have to say this: stay calm and slay on." So what that means, I have no clue but she, it's she would deliver that line better. She would. And she's very cute when she says it. But um so that's that you have to look at the mic, you know, look into the camera and say uh stay calm and slay on. Stay right calm. Here. Slay on. But maybe maybe we should stay calm because it's hard to stay calm these days given what's going on, right? Amen. Amen. You go to on. You keep the Sabbath? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I did. I mean, I, I start off by saying I was in bed on Shabbat looking at my phone.
0: Well, th- you know that, that's interesting because <laughs> you know my um, my mom's grandfather. I think he was they were religious, um, and when he came to this country, he, he said, you know, turning on the lights. He said, if God knew how easy it was to turn on and off the lights, get rid of this. That was, was the resting rest, thing. That was before the clapper. Yeah, even yeah, right? Or before Tesla had driving cars. Oh my Tesla god, had driving cars. Um, all right. Well, you, you have kids. I do. Married, yeah. You know, grown up kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Kids are doing their thing. They're religious. They go to shul on, on Shabbos. Yeah, Why are you pushing me there? No, I'm, I'm asking. What? Like, I'm you, were, you, were you
1: with the rabbi this morning or something? No. Really? You are like, I, me? You're, I'd be the rabbi. You're, like yeah. you're like the Shalich of the Chabad? What are you doing here?
0: You know, I've thought about bringing in... Now a, you're just making me... Now?
1: Wait, wait. Now you're ending the show with Jewish guilt. So That's
0: what let's you're talking talk Because I have a ton of that. Let me tell you. I don't know... How to get rid of that?
1: I do have a pair of tefillin in my desk, just in
0: case the rabbi stops over. So I also have tefillin that my father-in-law bought for me, and my ex father-in-law, um, and I don't put them on. But th- on Friday, today's Friday, when you leave when you leave here, there's two. Uh, they'll, they'll see the two two kids. They walk around Highland Park to fill in, so avoid rock, them no rock, I'm kidding go rock, put on put, rock, rock on put it wrap your tefillin because it, it does have some spiritual connection to something i don't know what but it does you're guilting me now you're guilting am i you shouldn't feel that way though you're guilting me it's very jewish of you
1: you are you are you are a deeply committed jew jews do guilt right
0: very well i learned it from my you're, mother who learned it from her mother you're very good at this Aaron. what's the matter with you don't you want to be a lawyer turn the camera I'm... off let's be done it's I, I, also a problem. I can never turn the camera off because I want to keep going. I've i got my groove. On. I mean, you've, got got like, you've
1: got, you have like, you've like got all the Jewish guilt bubbling up inside
0: me today well, on Shabbos. On Sha- well, now's the opportunity to go have a nice Come Shabbat on, man. and um, go to Shul tomorrow. All right. And who knows, where they are in the Torah portion. Maybe what it's. Oh, they're probably around um, by say. Now you're showing off. No, I only know because my, my bar mitzvah was around this time, and that's why I know. So I, yeah. I would ask me any other day of the week. I have no clue yeah, what they're yeah, talking yeah, about. You're sh- showing off your listeners they wouldn't be impressed with that let me tell you they'd be like i can hear them turning off the radio onto the next to go switching over to the joe rogan podcast talking about something (laughs) interesting right all right well rick thank you we speak your names rick krasnick so everybody get involved with jnf and um thanks for listening thanks man appreciate it stay calm and slay on